This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Parenthood really does shine a light on things that really need to be addressed. It will expand the way you think about yourself. It will challenge you to grow in ways that you probably never would have on your own. And so I think that it's a it's a hard <laughs> that's the hard work of parenting, really, I think is the reactions it stirs up in us. Uh, but this is sort of the beautiful side of it too, is that it can really help us to be better than we ever, ever, ever would be on our own. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, With increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Love Your Kids Without Losing Yourself with our esteemed guest, Dr. Morgan Cutlip. Dr. Morgan, a psychologist and highly sought-after relationship expert, knows what it feels like to lose yourself in motherhood and she's determined to help mothers navigate it better. Throughout her career, she has helped hundreds of thousands of people worldwide learn how to form and maintain healthy relationships. Dr. Morgan has been a featured relationship expert with Good Morning America, Teen Vogue, The New York Times, Women's Health Magazine, Mops International, Loveology, and Flow, the number one app in health and fitness. And today we're talking about her new book, Love Your Kids Without Losing Yourself, Five Steps to Banish Guilt and Beat Burnout When You Already Have Too Much to Do. Dr. Morgan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really grateful to be here. So we are aligned on the important goal of self-awareness. Yes, I heard that as yes. you're talking. <laughs> yeah. like, reading your book, I was like, ping, 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 <laughs> ping. Uh, so first of all, congratulations. Your book you. is um, such a wonderful contribution to the parenting space, particularly the mothering space. Mm-hmm. And you do it in such a authentic and transparent way by putting yourself out there as a model of um, imbalance, imperfection, and this takes a lot of work. It does. It does. Thank you for saying that. I really, as I was writing the book, I remember talking with uh, my editor and my agent, and I was like, I just want it to feel 
like coffee with a really good friend Mm -hmm. who also knows what she's talking about, (laughs) who has (laughs) some credentials and experience. And so Mm -hmm. I'm glad that it came, it came across that way. It, It definitely did. And as I was reading it, I was thinking about how much our field um, of psychology has changed and our culture has changed and how, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a little older than you, so I'll go on my um, graduate school and training experience. I mean, you were not supposed to talk about yourself, right? It was like you were supposed to keep this frame. And the whole time I was screaming inside saying, how can you be human and have this genuine human connection when we're not allowed to be ourselves. And of course, I'm giving sort of a rigid, you know, view of that on one end of the spectrum. But hasn't it changed so much where with purpose and with boundaries and with ethics, we can be ourselves as a way to offer modeling and humanness to our clients and all those who are coming to us? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, even in my training, I was, I was told the same thing. We're like these blank slates. We, Mm -hmm. we just, we don't really share unless, you know, if you do share, there's like a ton of intentionality around it Mm -hmm. versus like just a little bit of an authentic type Mm -hmm. of share. And so I, I think our profession has changed dramatically. I think social media era, this podcasting space, Mm -hmm. YouTube, all of these spaces have, really shifted, I think, the perspective on people who are in the helping profession and mm-hmm. how we show up. But I think, you know, it's funny as my book's been out in the world, not that long now, I guess, and in two days, it'll be one month. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the common threads of feedback I get is how relatable it is, mm-hmm. how much moms feel seen. And part of this is because I shared my story. I shared myself. And so I think there's a lot of power mm-hmm. in being authentic with how we show up. Totally. Totally. I was having a flashback several years ago um, when I was working on a book and my publisher, I was including uh, stories from my own parenting and my own kids and mm-hmm. and their day-to-day struggles. It's actually a book on anxiety. So it was like uh, a ch- one of my kids with their anxiety. And the publisher who was from a different generation, wonderful person, um, said, you know, Dan, if you put all this in the book, people are going to think there's something really wrong with you and your kids. <laughs> and I and I was like, well, that's my experience. When I do talks and when I share in the room in a mindful, intentional way, people actually say that's the most helpful part is to yeah. know that we experience the same stuff. You got to demystify it a little bit. Totally. There's like, we have a shared humanness here, right? We're like yes. humans doing human things. And humans so, doing human things. I like gonna, that. Yes. We're, we're going to have these, you know, we're going to struggle with the same things that we talk about. And that's part of why we have likely have such a heart for these things is because mm-hmm. we struggled through them as well. So I, I think there's a lot of value in sharing. I hope you pushed back. Oh, yeah. It's all in the book. Yeah, it's all in the book. <laughs> I totally pushed back. Um, okay. So basically, you start by um, a filtered statement of uh, balance is baloney. I'd say that I'm sure what you wanted to say was like balance is total BS, right? Like That was originally like, the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so... It's so I like you just you put that out front and center and I want to I want to just say a few statements mm-hmm. that are that are early on that just really set the tone for what you are trying to convey. And that is 
Loving your kids isn't supposed to mean you completely disappear or get swallowed up by the demands of motherhood. Number two, you don't have to choose between self-abandonment or child abandonment. (laughs) And three, you can love yourself and love your kids. (laughs) So hard though, right? Like it's, it's so like, these are, those are beautiful statements and I know they are truths. Mm -hmm. So hard to actually do. It takes work. It does. And I, I think, you know, we sort of live in, not everybody, you know, I'm generalizing here, but like these black and whites, these either ors. And we're, there's um, like a lot of collective conversation around how we need to embrace the more like the dichotomies or dualities of things, the both ands, the two things can be true. And so that's kind of what I'm leaning into with some of these statements is, is that it, it is possible to both feel good in parenthood. I mean, I, my book is for moms, so to feel good in motherhood mm-hmm. and to love your kids really well, which I think is at the heart of what we really desire. And I think these statements are truths, but they are so difficult in many ways because I think as women in general and moms specifically, we really are socialized to believe that we must self-sacrifice in order to really nurture and care for our relationships. This whole motherhood is synonymous with martyrdom, Mm -hmm. uh, is part of sort of the upbringing in our culture of women and moms. And so I think that, you know, on the one hand, when we become moms, we sort of have to self-sacrifice a little bit to keep our children alive and we love them and we're happy to do it. In many ways, we're happy to do it. But when we do it for so long that it becomes our constant state of being, this is when we really get swallowed up by things. This is when that resentment starts to bubble up and the feelings of being lost and almost like enmeshed in these relationships and fading into them and not kind of really being able to determine where we end and they begin. Mm -hmm. Um, That's when that starts to creep in. And that's when we start to see moms really struggle Mm -hmm. in motherhood and parenthood. Mm And so key to this experience um, of this human experience and then parenting experience and particularly Mm -hmm. mothering experience, as you point out, is where we came from. And so that we have our societal models, right? All of the societal expectations. And then we have our own experience of being parented by our parents, whomever they were. And I just... I want to talk about both your mom and your dad because there's so much like beautiful, um, is this a beautiful story, right? We'll, we'll get to your dad second. We'll start with mom because moms come first here. And um, you talk about the importance. So your mom, you had this sort of ideal model of traditional motherhood mm-hmm. that you aspired to as one of your, you know, this is your model but that model it, it was informed by your mom not having her biological mom. So, right, her life mission was to be the mom that she never had. And so that is, becomes, wow, this is what loving moms do. And so sit, tell us a little bit about that, that transmission yeah. to you. Yeah. I. This is like... This is something that um, in my own personal life just keeps repeating in terms of how I need to unpack this experience. Uh, So the story is my mom is adopted. She was adopted at birth and and adopted by a woman who – 
I don't think she's ever going to listen to these podcasts. My my grandma, she just <laughs> yeah. turned a hundred. Um, oh she, wow. wow! Yeah, she she's uh like a woman who you know means well. A woman who on the outside and um, society looking in, she is like a gift to the community. She's service oriented, all of these things. But at home, was pretty cold as a mom. She was pretty neglectful. Um, it's like my mom was a runner. And her team won state in cross country. And my grandmother never once saw her run in all mm. of her years of competing. So there's numerous and numerous and numerous examples of my mom sort of growing up. And she would describe it as just being kind of on her own. So her, I think how I phrased it before is her pain became my sister's and my gain. And that she sort of took all of that hurt, all that she didn't get as a mom and was like, I am going full on super mom mode <laughs> into how I raise my girls. And so she was, you know, mo- room mom for all of our classes. She was president of the board of education, which is an elected position, by the way. Like this is, <laughs> she's mm-hmm. like, whatever she puts her mind to, she's doing it 1000%. Our birthday parties were next level. This is before Pinterest. This is before all of that pressure. My mom was doing those things. And I know, you know, that makes me a really lucky little girl and it makes me lucky today. My mom lives a few blocks away. She's still like showing up a thousand percent. But what happened was when I went into motherhood, um, my situation looked dramatically different. My mom never worked. Uh, I worked part-time. My dad was home every night. My husband traveled every week. So I solo parent most of the time. And, um... I did not examine some of what I was bringing in to motherhood that came from my experience being raised by my mom. But what I did feel was that I could never do enough. Even when I was pouring so much into our our daughter at the time and now both our kids, I felt like, why am I always falling short? And part of it is, is that I took these expectations that I just sort of absorbed and experienced through being raised by my mom and I just placed them on myself. And um, these really came out as these incredibly high expectations that I held myself to and I could not meet them. And so it took me a while, but I had to really shine a light on these and I had to shift them because my life circumstances looked totally different. And so I had to shift them, realize, okay, what do I want to take? What do I want to leave? What do I want to repair? All of these things so that I could experience motherhood in a way where I wasn't feeling like I was always falling short and I wasn't always shaming myself Mm -hmm. in my motherhood experience. That was very well summarized. (laughs) And uh, there's a lot in there. And yes, um, so thank you for sharing that Mm -hmm. because we can have you know, it's hopefully we have good experiences with our parents and as we, and many don't, and Mm -hmm. many have mixed experiences. I mean, if we're right, like mixed experiences, there's some things that we like and other things we didn't like. And there's so much self-inquiry and self-awareness opportunity and importance, but we never get this training when we're just going to go be a parent that just informs everything we do that's under the hood, like this automatic way of responding and our unwritten dialogue and script about how things are supposed to be because this is the couch we had and this is the car we drove and this is what it smells like on Sunday morning. And these (laughs) things are imprinted in our heads, whether Mm -hmm. we are consciously aware that we liked them or not. 
Mm-hmm. But you yeah. take people through the questions, right? So yeah, I, I I'm happy to share one. I think one of um, for a mom, if a mom can unpack, and there's lots of ways of getting about this question. So this is one way. But if you can unpack the question, the type of mom I think I should be, or the type of mom I thought I'd be is, if you can just unpack that phrase, you'll start to really understand and unearth a lot of these expectations that you carried into motherhood. The way that I describe it, and it's it's just kind of like echoing what you're saying, is that we're really learning to be moms from the moment we're born. Um, the way that we're parented, what we absorb from society, what we see on TV, what we see in our culture, what we experience in our, in our own parenting experiences. And it just lives inside of us, like you said, sort of imprinted on us. And so it's really important that we unearth these things or else we're sort of held hostage by them. Mm -hmm. So when you unpack the statement, you put them on the table, then that empowers you to do something about it. And so I encourage moms to think about um, what – I always have to think carefully as I say these. What do you want to repair? What do you want to repeat? What do you want to add? So if there's things that you didn't get when you were growing up, what do you want to add to this? Uh, And what do you want to completely ditch? You know, some of these things might, you're like, that really stunk growing up. That was hurtful. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do this anymore. And so becoming aware of it is this really empowered stance that allows us to really act differently in motherhood and parenthood and in our relationships with our children that I think is really powerful. So if moms start there, Mm -hmm. you can cover a lot of ground by just Mm -hmm. unpacking that statement. Absolutely. And I'm thinking as I'm listening to you, a memory that I do want to share, but it relates to like how we do need to pivot Mm -hmm. as we become more aware of where our current thinking might not be serving us or serving our family or not be even realistic. And um, my quick example, I know this is dad, not mom, but as an example of this is I had these memories of family dinners And of course, I don't remember when they actually started, but in my mind, I thought I remembered when they actually started. So as our kids, we had kids, it was like, we're going to have family dinners every night because that's what happened. And having three kids that I know you can relate to who were highly spirited, our (laughs) early family dinners were complete and utter shit shows. Like they were terrible. (laughs) They were terrible. And then there was this like, oh my God, like I'm failing as a parent. That I don't have these family dinners because everyone knows in the research that family dinners are really important. And finally, we ditched it. We realized they're not ready. We're not ready. And then, you know, of course, it it came together when it was able to come together. But again, I'm just resonating with this like idea that I had how it was supposed to be. Yeah. And then we're like tethered to these things really tightly. So when it's exactly what you're saying, then when it doesn't go as we wanted to or expected to, or this ideal that we have, we feel like something's wrong either with us, with our kids or with the both of us. And that again, like that just feeds into this judgment and this negative self-talk and all of these things that ultimately drain our energy, whether it's as a mom or dad or just in parenthood in general, these things become really powerful. I mean, I know I give lots of examples in the books in the book of times where one of my kids would sort of be losing it and I had this belief that like a good mom has kids who are well behaved. Yep. Right? right? So if a kid's not behaving in a way that's appropriate or isn't like keeping their cool even despite really a lot of frustrations, then somehow it means I'm failing. Right. And so part of it is like detaching or unhooking these tethers um, that we have in parenthood that become just these really powerful things that drag us down. 
And it appears the universe gave you a little human to help you become untethered <laughs> with that with, yeah, with that idea. Okay, yes, too highly spirited. I empathize. I totally empathize. But isn't it interesting, right? Because, yeah. because if you were not, if you were given the more easily temperamental temperamented child which mm-hmm. they they do exist out there for those of you oh, listening you might I know them yes. yeah yeah i know them too those of you listening you're like how come wait i didn't get those or i know those <laughs> and it's okay to be a little jealous because it's uh, it, it that's that's what happens um if you didn't get those think how different how much these kids have informed you and stretched you and pushed you to have to challenge your own belief system and parenting ideology mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, that's a whole episode, probably. I I mean, I think, you know, that's a mindset shift that can become really powerful as we enter parenthood, which is that uh, if you're really sort of doing it, I hate to say right versus wrong, but if you're really like in it to win, Mm -hmm. (laughs) trying to think the best way to say it, if you're really in it, then you're going into it with the expectation and the mindset that it's going to sort of expand you. We kind of make, I feel like, I mean, I'm on social more than I, than I like to be, but you see so much joking around and making fun of parenting is like restricting your world and like taking more than it gives and all these things. But parenthood really does shine a light on things that really need to be addressed. It will expand the way you think about yourself. It will challenge you to grow in ways that you probably never would have on your own. And so mm-hmm. I think that it's a, it's a hard, <laughs> that's yes. the hard work of parenting really, I think, is the reactions it stirs up in us. Uh, But this is sort of the beautiful side of it too, is that it can really help us to be better than we ever, ever, ever would be on our own. I like how you said expand. I think that's a really important word. And um, my wife and I are always talking about how our kids are our greatest teachers. And when you flip into looking at it that way, it actually, it changes the energy around it as opposed to we're supposed to know everything. We're supposed to teach you. You're supposed to listen and everything's supposed to go the way it's supposed to go. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a setup. But when we can say like, these people are there to help us grow, we can pause even in those most difficult moments or after those most difficult moments um, to kind of, to regroup and see, okay, what do, what do, what am I learning here? Like, what does this say about me? I know. It's so hard. I mean, I know I learned like I'm pretty spirited too. I think all my years of being um well, so well mannered and an obedient child, mm-hmm. I learned that actually, you know, I I had to kind of like stuff some of that stuff down. And so I think that's like, yes, like be open and receptive to what our kids are going to teach us, what they're going to reveal in us, and sometimes our whatever you want to call them, triggers or the things that are stirred up in us are really sort of revealing Mm -hmm. things that need a little bit more investigation and curiosity. Yes. Okay. So we've just dipped our toe into the world (laughs) of one of your um, highly influential people in your life, your mother Mm -hmm. and the footprint that she has placed on you and with you. Mm -hmm. And now there is your father who not only have you had as a as a father, but also yeah. as a professional mentor and partner, business partner, <laughs> and and how his work has informed your work. Mm. Gosh, it's almost hard to talk about because it's so. I think I say on the on, in the book 
um, you know, I don't talk about my dad a lot in this book, but he's kind of like on every single page that I write because I, as long as I can remember, have really been a part of the work of work with my dad. And so uh, our story goes back to grade school where um, he went back to school to get his doctorate and he would, which I can't imagine when I was in school, them letting you do this. But anyway, he brought me to classes with him. So I was probably six or seven and I would pack a, you know, a fake briefcase full of candy and paper and I'd sit in class with him and I'd take notes. And, um, I, it's, this is a crazy thing, which is I went to the same doctoral program that he went to. And one of the classes I sat in on was vocational psychology. And I ended up having, when I was in school there, the exact same professor Few years later. Yeah. And I remember what I was drawing uh, in her class. I was like, we're learning this still? All these (laughs) – nothing's changed in vocational psychology. I actually don't know. You're like, I'm bored. I learned this when I was six. (laughs) I I remember this. (laughs) But, uh, you know, he would play this game with me um, where he would say, you know, he would give me hypothetical cases. He'd give me hypothetical cases and he'd ask me, okay, what would you do if you were working with this family? How would you help the boy? How would What would you say to the mom? What would you say to the dad? And he would walk me through. And this left a massive impact on me. I think it, it, it was one of my favorite games to play with him. I would be like, more, 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 more. Give me another one. Uh, it was a bonding time for us. It's just special memories around this. And I mean, gosh, I don't know if it was a social experiment or something, but he was really like raising me up to be, you know, in this profession. And then when he started uh, having his own practice, he quickly started writing courses and I would travel around with him and I'd sit in the audience. Sometimes I'd work booths at conferences and eventually started speaking with him. And so, um, I just feel like I've kind of grown up in Mm -hmm. the field of psychology and relationships and how to, take psychological principles and and translate them into educational pieces. You know, there's all you know, I don't really talk about the other side of it, but there's also like a darker side to these things as well. And I think that this is the work you know, as parents in this day and age, we I think are really worried about um creating almost like micro traumas in our children. We're parenting with a lot of intensity. We're really wanting to mm-hmm. do a good job. And uh, I often say, you don't leave childhood without something. And I feel like there are good sides and and there are like the light and the dark of all these situations. And so mm-hmm. my dad was wonderful, did nothing wrong. But like the shadow side to all of this growing up with him and all of it is like, I really had to work hard to figure out who I was in my own professional space. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, part of, being an adult and growing up is doing our own work to figure these things out. But, you know, I sort of was always kind of admired him to such a degree that I was intimidated to step out or do anything on my own. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of the the flip side of our work yeah. together is like, shush, I had to figure out uh, who I was separate from my dad. Well, and I, pre- I appreciate you saying that because it's easy for everyone to look at mm-hmm. others and see what they have and, um, in relation, all the comparison to what we don't have, but with something always comes something, yeah, for right? Sure. Yes. If there's always, and you, like we all, 
we can't escape the micro traumas of life, whether inside no. the family or outside. Like it just is. And I think it is important to talk about that, that even in what seems like the best situations, still have that underbelly, that other side that we often have to contend with at some point. Yes. I, I like to say it as um, there's a difference between intention and interpretation. I say this to parents sometimes to try to reassure them, it's, which is that you can have the best of intentions with how we raise our kids. My dad had the best of intentions through and through with everything we did as we worked together and as he raised me. And then also, you know, we can interpret things in ways that aren't intended and our kids often do. And, and we'll see that as, you know, we've grown into adults, how many times we've likely interpreted things in ways that our parents would be like, what? I didn't mean it like that. And you're like, oh, mm -hmm. sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this, is, this is what's been imprinted on me now. And so now yes. I have to do that work. So it's just part of it. It's part of life. It's part of growing up. And I think if we take that and we apply it to what you're talking about just with your own per personal and professional identity, it seems you have done that with the your conceptualization um, of relationship, of motherhood, of selfhood, because you, you've taken what you've learned about, for everyone listening, um, Dr. Morgan's dad has a actual amazing co relationship concept and courses and has impacted millions of people around the world. Mm -hmm. And you've taken aspects of it and expanded to your own work. So, right, like this mm -hmm. way of integrating Mm -hmm. And yet also being your own. Yeah. Yes. Thanks for saying that. I really, <laughs> like, I don't know what to say back, yeah. but I appreciate that. Yeah. My, my dissertation actually took, so you're talking about the relationship attachment model, which is my mm -hmm. dad's basically like his life's work and, and all of our courses are really centered around it. And so, um, being able to, you know, I, I took it from my, um, doctoral dissertation and applied it, um, to couples, but I, in my literature review, really went through it as systems, the technical way I talked about it was systems of self. And so it's really cool now all these years later to be able to sort of use it in that same way and to apply it to to specifically to moms. And so my dad can't do that one because no, <laughs> he's he not can't. a mom. He That's can with dads, scary. but yeah. So it's I feel really blessed that he's, you know, he, he's sharing it with me and uh, letting me take it and, and do my own, own work with it. So, so there's so much in the book. I mean, mm -hmm. I have my copious notes here and, um, cause I am a note taker and <laughs> there are so many concepts. And when I say this people, when I say so many concepts, they are not overwhelming concepts. They're different concepts, different things to think about with very actionable steps and questions to ask yourself. And so I'm going to look to you as expert, Dr. Morgan. What is like, what is something that you would want the listeners, to, a place to start, something that, you know, they can really sink their teeth in as we're giving them a little, a little entry view to your work? Ooh. So I, I'm like a framework kind of gal. I'm not really prescriptive. And so uh, I feel like my book can often, you know, when I have these conversations can often get talked about in terms of self-care. 
um, you know, how do moms take care of themselves? And so I think, you know, something that's important to understand about my book is that it sort of takes self-care and it expands the definition of it in a pretty big way to be like whole self-care. And so not just your physical body is getting your nails done, which is how they talk about it for women a lot of times. Get your nails done, drink enough water, things like this. But talks about um, how you care for your mental self, your emotional self, how you think about yourself, uh, how you manage your energy, things that are actually deeply meaningful. So the big picture takeaway of my book is that um, moms are master managers of all the people and all the things. We manage all these relationships in our life with our kids, with our partners usually, but we are not that great at turning those same skill sets toward ourselves. Part of what I teach moms in the book is how to manage your relationship with yourself. And the way that we do that is we have regular self-check-ins. And so if a mom's listening to this and she's like, I don't know where to start, start by checking in with yourself. It'd be great if you get my book. Then you'll get all of the details and the whole plan laid out for you. But also you can just start checking in with yourself. Um, You can go to the bathroom and take a minute and say, how am I doing? What am I feeling? What are my needs right now? How is my energy? And starting to tune in with ourselves. And part of why this is so important, I know it sounds like common sense, but we don't do it. Um, Part of why this is so important is that we move at such, and this probably applies to everyone, at such a fast-paced momentum through life that we're sort of like disassociated from ourselves. And it comes up in the most regular of interactions. You see somebody, they're like, hey, how are you doing? You're like, I'm good, I'm good. They're like, no, really? You know, if anyone actually takes Mm -hmm. that moment, you know, how are you really doing? Oftentimes we're like, I don't know. Like, give me a minute. I'm not sure. I've not actually touched base with myself in three years, right? So, you know, we we have to start to reestablish connection with ourselves so that Mm -hmm. we can figure out what do we need? Mm-hmm. What you know, as moms, our needs change; they grow in intensity, or they change completely. But a lot of times, we are so out of touch with them that we get a moment alone, and we're like, we don't even know what to do with it. We don't even know what re- moves the needle. Part of it is because we're so disconnected from who we are, and so that's, I think, where we mm-hmm. really need to begin. I'm imagining. I'm imagining as a coping response, like, so yes, I agree. We do not, people do not generally check in with themselves. And if you pause to say like, someone says, how are you? And you pause to actually think about it. They're like, well, what's going on? You asked me a question. I'm trying to actually think about how I am. (laughs) But I'm imagining from a coping perspective, this is stuff that also stays vaulted up because I was just feeling the potential overwhelm of, okay, I'm going to just go in the bathroom. Um, Mom, I'm going to go check, go in the bathroom. I'm going to check in with myself. And I don't want to look at the reality of this. Like I, this is really hard. This is not what I expected. I don't feel like I wanted to feel. I don't look like I used to look. I Mm -hmm. don't have the life that I had or thought like, like it can be really overwhelming, really heavy. Yes. So walk us through that. I mean, cause that takes courage. And I remember being taught in, in graduate school. One of the p- professors said, um, the metaphor that he was taught, um, was you don't take the grandfather clock apart unless you have time to put it back together. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> right yes. in, in the therapy room. But so in so for a person, right, this applies like if I pull myself apart, I can't be a puddle. Like I may be going to be more miserable than I thought I was. Like, you yes. know, how, so how do That's we do this? That's a great point. Yeah. So, okay. So let's do two scenarios. So let's do one scenario. I cannot pull myself apart because I do not have the resources or capacity to put myself together. So if that's the case, I think one of the one thing you can start with is um, begin to identify what you need. And if you can start to identify what you need, then you can start to define it, which means then you can start to either meet it yourself or reach out to whoever's in your support system to have help in meeting these needs. And this can start to like refuel you enough to get to you to a place where then maybe you have the capacity to dig a little bit deeper into some of these things. And so one of the fastest ways to identify what you need is to think about what you complain about the most. So I believe that our complaints are windows into unmet needs. Mm. I know. Ooh, say that again. Our complaints are windows to our unmet needs. Yes. Yes. It is the fastest way to get there. If you are, I don't know, do, you have to tell me if if dads do this, but as moms, I know that sometimes when I'm not in a good place, I do like this muttering like under my breath, but I secretly want people to hear me. You know, it's really, it's like not, it's not a great thing to do, but mm-hmm. it's like this, like, oh, must be nice to do. do, do, do. Yeah. Like it's a kind of staccatoed like that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you find yourself doing that, take a moment. Just remember me in your mind of like, oh, I remember when she talked about that muttering. Take a moment, grab a piece of paper. What are you complaining about? Are you complaining about nobody's helping you? Are you complaining about you don't get to sit down? It must be nice there on the couch while I'm over here doing the dishes. Like what actually are these specific things you're complaining about? Because these are actual starting points for how you can create a little bit more space mm. for you to have the capacity to actually address some of these deeper things. So that's scenario uh, one. So what you're not saying is that if you are getting frustrated that you're always doing the dishes and putting the dishes away, I thought what you're supposed to do is slam is do it, but slam like the cupboard <laughs> doors really loud. loud, right? And then people <laughs> will just jump up and help. Right? <laughs> I tell a story about that. I was like banging pots and pans like a cowbell trying to get my <laughs> husband to come over. But um, no, don't do that. Yeah. I mean, it's so tempting. It's so yes. tempting. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, those so, are the, yeah. our adult tantrums. Those are. It's like, yes. We're not that different than our kids. Yes. And some of us might have had it modeled for us as well, right? Oh gosh. Oh gosh. Okay. So I like, so becoming aware if we don't want to, if we, if we don't feel we have the resources or the energy or are ready to fully take that inventory, I like what you just said to everyone is that start to take a look at a couple of things. One is what do you think you need or want? And where are you complaining? I think that's a great one. Like, what am I complaining about all the time? Because that actually suggests there is something that I'm not getting that I'm needing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's a good there's there's lots of entry points. That's why I like if you read my book, I feel like moms will find what part they want to start in. So mm-hmm. that that is a good one. Um okay, so if you have the capacity, you know, my book is really structured where there are five steps which which are modeled which go around this relationship attachment model. So five steps and it goes really deep in the beginning of the chapter 
and kind of helps you unearth some of stuff. And then it comes out and offers the practical suggestions, things you can do in the moment. So if you have the capacity to go deep, I think this is where you're going to find meaningful and lasting and sustainable change because you're going to unearth like those expectations we started out by talking about, which are really um, foundational to understanding the way that you think about yourself in parenthood and you experience mm-hmm. it and how you talk to yourself. I mean, you we, one of your examples was, you know, I thought it would feel different. I thought it would look different. I thought I I have a framework that helps moms really. I try mm-hmm. to do a lot of the work for moms. It's like, yes. we're tired. We don't want to think that hard. So I, I go through these deep activities and then I'm like, let me give you a framework. Let me give you examples um, so that you can start to understand these things and start to restructure them. Once you do that work, I'm not saying you'll never have to do it again, but you're going to be good at it. You're Mm going to be much better at it, and you won't have to probably go as deep again. And so then after that, you will experience that that shift that becomes really powerful. Um, Like, for example, with mom guilt, it is not a thing for me in my life unless I've actually violated something that is – very important. And I needed the guilt to shift my behavior. But like so many of moms are existing with this heaviness of guilt that's draining their experience in motherhood. So you do this work, you're going to experience a powerful shift and then just use the fast tools in the moment from there on out. So if Mm -hmm. you have the space, I think it's, um, it's actually really, really powerful to take a little bit of it and do some of the deeper work. So I want to I I want to talk a little bit about a part of your model which I found really helpful the visual but before that you just um, tempted my curiosity mm-hmm. when did your mom guilt go away because everyone's wanting that right so yeah. like what was it for you along doing this work because clearly from reading the book I know you had it for a while you know yeah. like so you worked through it what, do you was it like a moment or was it a cumulative no. effect of the work. It was a cumulative effect and it was doing what I talk about in the book, which Mm -hmm. was part of it was identifying this impact of my mom's sort of, you know, the idealized mom image that I had um, really from my own experience with my mom. Part of it was all of these sort of societal expectations I had, you know, part of it was just I – you know, I always knew I wanted to work, but then at the same time when I was working, I felt like – I don't know if I should be doing this or if I want to be, you know, it was like wrestling with some of these really deep conflicts. I think a lot of moms really experience and you just sometimes don't know exactly how it's going to feel until you're in it. And, um, so it was working through these standards. I call them, uh, impossible standards that I held myself to and restructuring them, rewriting them, Mm. um, really arguing with myself, debating with myself, um, talking it out with my friends and, and trusted trusted relationships with my mm-hmm. husband uh, and rewriting these sort of stories. I mean, it's Brene Brown, right? Stories we tell yes. ourselves about good mo- what right. it means to be a good mom and rewriting these stories. And I, I mean, I'm not like pulling anyone's leg here. I just don't. Like I tell a story about um, – I think it's in the chapter on commitment and priorities where our daughter's crying because, you know, I've, she doesn't want to leave for the weekend while I knock out the rest of my book. And I I said how painful it is to see her upset, how I want to be in multiple places at, at once, but I don't feel guilty, you know, and that's taken years of work. And I think that it's, 
guilt and motherhood has become quite synonymous. Like they're always linked together and I don't think it needs to be that way. And again, I do think there, that guilt has a place. I think that's important to say because mm-hmm. sometimes our guilt is really impactful and that it helps us repair. It helps yeah. us shift our behaviors um, to be more in line with who we want to be. And so we have to unpack some of these things to really be free mm-hmm. of them. Yes. So that's very motivational, and there's so much hope in that, that there is a way out of the guilt, everyone, and it is it is in the book. So one more thing about the book, as we are winding towards the parent footprint moment question here, I really like the model with your gauges, mm-hmm. and and especially as you overlay your model on your a few of your different experiences, so you model for everyone, where on all of these metrics that is a very nice, useful template for people to walk through life at the park when everything is falling apart, (laughs) is to be like, okay, how am I doing on this? How am I doing on this? And how am I doing on this? And okay, let me reflect on how this could go a little better. Yeah. Yeah. So you want me to tell the story? Yeah, tell. Yeah, that's a good story. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. It's wild. So our kids now are 10 and 7. And so like this is when they were much younger. But I think I titled the story Poof at the Park. And at the time I had um, our daughter our – da- our daughter was – she's just a big-spirited kid, strong-willed. She's absolutely amazing. She has a fire in her that's wonderful. But I was struggling to figure out how to actually go somewhere without the fear of God in me that she was going to absolutely have a mind-blowing demonic tantrum. And so at <laughs> – the time I was doing, and I, I think I make fun of myself because it was just, this is just a stupid idea for me. At least, if there's anyone's doing this, I'm sorry if I <laughs> yeah, offended yeah. you. But um, it was basically like a reward system. She does something good. You have these little like uh, craft arts and craft supplies that are like these little poofs, and I would put them in a jar, and um, she would fill the jar up. She would, I was like, poof, she gets a popsicle, you know, and um, she's not, you know, pull them out. And so we're at, and, and, and the stupid thing is that the jar was glass. So I'm at the park, I'm meeting up with some friends. We get in the park, things are going really smoothly. And um, our son at the time was, was a newborn. So he's laying in the bassinet. And so our daughter comes over and suddenly like, she can't figure out what to do at the park. And so she just wants to play with the poofs and she's throwing them into the bassinet. He's just old enough to pick them up, put them in his mouth and like die. So I'm envisioning, you know, my, (laughs) her son dies choking. Yeah. Death by poof. When I'm like trying to correct her behavior, she like murders our son. And so, (laughs) I'm get my anxiety was like, you know, go higher, higher, higher. Her, I could see, you know, if you're a parent of a kid like this, you know, you know when it's coming, you sense it. Um, and that sort of shift, you're like, oh, buddy. So it was coming and then it was there and it was an explosion. Poofs were thrown in the bassinet faster than I can get to him. I'm freaking out and I'm there with a friend and I'm like, I'm out of here. Like, peace out. Luckily, we were good enough friends where she's like, see you later. You know, it's no, she's yeah. got the easy temperament yeah. of kids. Yeah. So like, yeah. she doesn't know. But um, just a lot of grace for me. So I like pull our daughter up under my arm and I get to the car and, you know, I said, yeah, I wish I would have learned how to wrestle alligators because getting her in the car seat was just next level. So I tell the whole story of like, I finally get her in the car seat and what would my check-in look like? If I had done the deep work and I walk through, if you haven't done the deep work, what does it look like? And, you know, if I had done the work at that time, part of it would be 
And you could do the check-in, I say, from shutting the back seat door to me walking up to the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. And so it would be, okay, what's going on with me right now? Well, clearly I'm agitated. I'm sweating. I'm angry. I'm embarrassed, right? A lot of it was probably coming from embarrassment and shame. Um, So how am I seeing myself in these moments? I'm seeing myself as a mom whose kids are a mess. They're out of control, or one kid, out of control. Uh, I don't parent well. I clearly don't know what I'm doing. I'm supposed to know what I'm doing because I'm an expert. So I'd have all of these negative thoughts. And so it would be Part of the main work that would be most impactful in that moment would be shifting the way that I see myself. Changing the it story. Would, yeah. It would be changing the story. It would be focusing on the ways that I did a good job, how I showed up for my kids, the heart behind my intentions behind what I was doing. Um, also, I think part of my context was my husband had been gone the entire week and the week previous. And so I was like really in need of a break. So part of what I would do would be putting a pin in, okay, I have a need for some time and some space to reset. So I would make a plan to talk to my husband. So I walk through each of the steps of the of the RAM um, and how I would start to make these small shifts. And I think what's important about um, these self-check-ins and, and for moms to know is that a lot of what I talk about, you do right alongside your kids. A lot of times when we talk about feeling better in motherhood, we're like, okay, then when you get a weekend away, right. you do these things. It's like, no, I don't I don't get to do that every day. You know, I can't do you can't just go till I'm starving and then get a little bite of food, you know, to recover. It's that's not how it works. And so um a lot of what I talk about you can do right alongside your kids because it's that's what's sustainable for mm-hmm. us in motherhood. Yes. And uh you all, when you get the book, it's a great story. It's even more elaborated. Um <laughs> I want to give it all away. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's a good <laughs> it's a good teaser. And so many um, people could relate to it. Um, I could relate to that story personally as well. And um, I know so many mothers will just appreciate seeing and reading the raw, it's just the rawness of the complete overwhelm combined with I'm terrible at this and I'm a failure and all the shame and the guilt, right? It's like, it's, it's like right there. And you are also living proof of doing the work, which you write about has wonderful, um, results and it's a work in progress, but it's like it, you can move the needle, um, with being intentional and being aware and taking some time for yourself. And, and, and this book, is self-care, right? Yeah. Like this, because this is it a is. book about, because it is a book about it empowering, is. you empower mothers. Yeah. Yes. I want, that's how I want moms to feel is like yeah. they have a lot of, of agency mm-hmm. in how they feel in motherhood. So I might've just l- walked backwards into the question I was just going to ask you, which was what is your ultimate goal for the reader or your mm. audience with your book? I know. I'm like, well, kind of. Yeah. That's kind yeah. of it. Is is yeah. that I, I, I think motherhood is such a beautiful thing, and it's it's. I, I mean, I've experienced how difficult and draining and hard it is, but I I believe it's such a wonderfully just ex- wonderful experience that opens up so much possibility to uh, enhance our lives in really beautiful ways. And we're given such an amazing opportunity to raise up humans. And so I want moms to feel whole enough that they look back on their motherhood experience and they're like, I really feel good about how I showed up. And I wasn't all weary and depleted and ragged and just like 
grumpy and irritable because I really never cared for myself. I want moms to feel good about how they showed up in motherhood and to feel good throughout the process. This is a this is a long game here, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like running the marathon and sucking it up for those 26 miles. This is a long game. And so we have to make sure we're taking care of ourselves. And when we do that, we really are showing up um, fully and wholly for our children. I think that's really important. So yeah, and I want moms, the agency piece is a huge one. I want them to feel empowered that they have a lot of opportunities to make changes um, in how they experience motherhood. Yes. (laughs) Okay. The question. The question. Here we go. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual as a mom, or even an awareness of your own parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your kids, and or those you love. Okay, so this is, it has a positive impact, but I was not proud of this moment. But I'll share it because it kind of hits all of those relationships. So my mom, which I'm assuming, I'm kind of thinking this might be a little bit of a universal thing. She has this way of asking questions that feel like accusations (laughs) (laughs) or can induce kind of like a feeling of shame. And um, this was maybe a week ago, a couple weeks ago. I've been working with our daughter on – she's in fifth grade now. So on taking a bit more ownership and responsibility for how she manages her schoolwork. I feel like I shouldn't be the one who has to be riding your case about things. And so um, we're working on her, like, taking more of that over. And um, she, I was at dinner with the kids. We had late baseball practice. And um, usually they have spelling bees on Thursdays. And she sort of was like, I don't think we have one this week. I'm like, okay, that's weird. Um, you do every week, but okay. And I get a text from one of the other moms. Hey, can you send me the spelling list for the spelling bee tomorrow? And so we get home and I'm tucking her in and I said, hey, I got a text message from so-and-so's mom. Says the spelling bee is tomorrow. How come your friend knew about the spelling bee but you didn't? And um, our kids uh, were very very open in how we process stuff with our kids. So I watched her immediately drop her head, kind of slump down. And just sort of shut down. So she shuts down. Our son does not shut down. He gets loud, but she shuts down. And uh, I said, I did. See, I didn't even catch myself in the moment. So I, what's going on? When you said that, mom, you made me feel like my friend is a much better student than me. Like I'm not doing a good job and I'm really trying to be responsible. And I guess I'm not getting it right. And in that moment, I was aware that I was repeating something that I experienced growing up that I do not want to repeat. Mm -hmm. And so because she was able to share that with me and it was clear as day after that, what I had just done, we're able to repair and um, I won't do it again. I mean, I might, Mm -hmm. it might come out. It might come out, let's be honest, but I will be so mindful of that now Mm -hmm. because I know how painful that is. And so that's my Thank you for sharing that. Let me ask, um, what... Because that's such a, that so many people could relate with that story. What, how would you approach that differently? Oh, that's a good question. 
I know, right? Because you still want to. Now, now I'm in the right. hot seat. I'm not sure. I think that I would have come to her and said, I got a text from your friend's mom. It said there's a spelling bee tomorrow. And I know you said you weren't sure there was a spelling bee. So it seems like maybe you missed it. Maybe you were in the bathroom or something happened. So how can we come up with a plan? I don't know what I'd do. I probably would yeah. brainstorm solutions with her. I'd bring her into it mm-hmm. instead of making her feel like she um, was less than or messed up. And so we'd problem yeah. solve it together versus me pointing the finger as an like accusation. Yeah, and it was really – so thank you for that. And I know mm-hmm. total hot seat because these are <laughs> such hard situations. And just like you described with your mom, there's a subtlety – Mm-hmm. It's so subtle that flip, and and it's like I think people listening to what you did, they'd be like, "Well, that sounds reasonable," but totally. it's the little subtle. It's just the little subtle it's thing, which which of course she as a um, as a growing self aware human is able to communicate back to you how you made her feel. Which talk about <laughs> emotional intelligence right there. Yes. So that is uh, that's uh, so. Congratulations there on having Thank a, you. A, a child who can communicate um, emotionally illiterate, literate, yeah. emotionally literate child. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. hard to take sometimes, but I'm I'm proud of it, and mm-hmm. that's it's part of the work. It's part of the work, and again, there are mirrors. They let us know what uh, we need to keep be aware of and work on ourselves. So true. Dr. Morgan, thank you so much for this conversation and sharing yourself with me and us today. Uh, I know I've already seen you on Good Morning America. Like this book is, this book has legs. Tell everyone <laughs> where they can find it and your extensive work as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is a really fun conversation. So uh, you can get my book anywhere you buy books, especially online. So Barnes & Noble, Target, Amazon, um, indie bookstores, any of those places you can find the book. Um, You can learn more about me on my website, which is drmorgancutlip.com, as well as Instagram, which is drmorgancutlip. And there's much more than the book, people. Check it out. There's podcasts, (laughs) there's classes, there's free stuff. There's lots of resources, lots of resources. Thank you. Pleasure and best of luck. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please do share this with all of those moms and anyone in a role where they are caring for others and also wanting to care and needing to care for themselves at the same time. It takes a community. We are so grateful for having you as part of our community for your five-star reviews, all of your support. Do your best to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com.
Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.